we turn this evening to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon. This is one of those uh, short books, just a, maybe a page in your Bible. It's a couple of pages in mine. Uh, the easiest way to find it is to find the larger book of Hebrews. And uh, the book of Philemon is just before the book of Hebrews. And so this is uh, another one of Paul's letters. Um, and even though the, the books of First and Second Timothy and Titus and so on are written to individuals, they were intended for a broader and wider audience. Philemon, however, uh, holds a unique place in that it is very specific, dealing with a very specific topic. So in, in that regard, it is very unique. It's very unique in the writings of Paul. Paul uh, tends to go uh, in his writings, once again, under inspiration of the Spirit, into theological truths. But here, uh, this book is about a practical application of a spiritual truth that we would be far less rich if we did not have this book included in God's Word. So let's read Paul's entire letter to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphaia, our sister, and Echippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Ephaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Archicius, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As far the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Father, as we have heard your word, as it comes to us from you, from your Holy Spirit, It comes to us, Father, as divine truth through, Father, the experiences of of Paul. We now pray, Lord, that that word would become more than just words upon a page, but would become your living word, sharper and active than any two-edged sword, that it would accomplish in our hearts that which you, before the foundations of the world, intended this passage to do for us. Give us open ears, open minds, open hearts, open lives to live the glorious truth of this book of your most holy word. In Christ's name we pray. God's people say, amen. One of the themes, if you've been following along in the book of Colossians that Paul has been dealing with in chapter 1 is the theme of reconciliation, of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That has come back several times now in that first chapter of Colossians. Reconciled through Christ, reconciled by Christ, reconciled through the power of Christ, reconciled because of the majesty of Christ. And and Paul understands that his work is the work of the ministry of reconciliation, as he speaks about uh, to the Corinthians as well. So it's a theme that we're following along in the book of Colossians. It is that theme that we are now delving into in the book of Philemon. He never mentions it. He never uses the term. He never throws it out there. But this is the practical application for you and I in terms of how does reconciliation work? Yes, we've been reconciled by Christ to God. But what does that say about how we're to live our lives from day to day? Well, we are to be about the ministry of reconciliation. Not only the proclaiming of the gospel so that people know that through Jesus Christ, they too, as enemies of the gospel, can become those who are reconciled and have peace with God. But also that we practice that reconciliation amongst ourselves. It is interesting to note 
as well. As, as we have that theological teaching going on in Colossians, and now this practical application in the book of Philemon. It's interesting that Philemon lives in Colossa. That's where he lives. So it's almost as if Paul is going, I've been teaching this, I've been talking about this. Philemon, you need to practice this. And I don't know if you caught it at all, but even as we're reading through this book, there are, there are some words, some phrases that you go, that sounds like Colossians. It does. Because he, he's writing, he, this is an exchange that is going on with the same group of people. The same folks are there as well. Paul even mentions Onesimus in the book of Colossians. So there's a lot of reasons for us to to understand why it is that Paul is writing this very personal letter to this man called Philemon. Usually when we go through things like this, I start with the past. I do the past, the present, and the future. Here, however, it's necessary for us to start with what is the present situation what was the past problem? And then to look thirdly at the future reconciliation. So first of all, what's the present situation? Well, note, Paul's circumstances are he is a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Remember where we were this morning? For those of you who watched, okay, live stream, Paul was talking about his sufferings. Why is Paul talking about his sufferings in that section of Colossians? Because he is a prisoner. It comes out again now. He is a prisoner, not for himself. This is not, oh man, oh, I got it so bad. Note, I am a prisoner for Jesus Christ, for the glory of Christ, for the witness of Christ. So everything we said about that this morning now comes into play again this evening in fitting this greeting this opening line into, back into now Colossians. And and we get that understanding now as to how this is working. Paul is a prisoner, and he's a prisoner in Rome. It's important for us to recognize that he's a long ways from Colossae. This is a long trip that he has been on, and he's now in Rome as a prisoner. That's his situation. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. The other situation is this. There is this man by the name of Philemon. That's who he's writing the letter to. Philemon is in Colossae. And Philemon is working there as a fellow worker. Look at the end of verse 1. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. In fact, as you read through uh, the rest of the book of Philemon, it would appear that Philemon is probably the pastor of the church presently. When Paul closes this letter, he talks about a man by the name of Epaphras. Uh, He seems to be the fellow who actually started the church in Colossae, but he's now with Paul in Rome. So in the meantime, while Ephaphras is out of the picture, who's stepped up to the plate? Who's taken on the responsibilities of pastoring this church? 
Note as well, Paul mentions that it is this church that is meeting in your house. So once again, when we started Colossians, I told you it wasn't a big church. We're not dealing with some mega church here. We're dealing with a house church. And and it is to them that he's writing the book of Colossians. Now he's writing, as it were, to the pastor of of that house church in Colossae. But notice everything that Paul goes on to say in verses 4 through 7 about Philemon. That, that whole section is like, Philemon, wow, thank you, thank you. He mentions his, the love of Philemon, verse 5. He mentions the faith of Philemon. He mentions the fact that he is sharing of your faith, that Philemon is one who believes and that Philemon is one who is out testifying. He, he sees Philemon as, as in, in that sense of a fellow worker, not just they're in the same cause, but there is a, a kinship there. There is a unique relationship in that what Paul is commending Philemon for doing is exactly what Paul's ministry is about. So the love of Philemon, the faith of Philemon, the sharing of Philemon, the care that Philemon has given to Paul. I have derived, verse 7, much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Paul is being comforted by Philemon. Now, that could be in two ways. It could be that that Philemon and the church there in Colossae have been sending gifts to help support Paul in prison. Because remember, Rome doesn't run it our way. When you go to prison in Rome... You're not going to get fed unless somebody brings you food. The Roman government isn't buying your food for you. They could care less if you die in jail. They don't care. So if you want your trial to be held, if you want your time before the judge, you might have to wait six months. You might have to wait a year. Somebody's got to give you food because the Romans aren't bringing it to you. Because they just assume you're guilty and you ought to die anyway. So you are totally dependent upon others supplying your needs. Your blanket gets worn out, they're not giving you a blanket. Your clothes wear out, they're not providing you with clothes. Everything you have as a prisoner, you are dependent upon your friends, your relatives to supply you. Now, notice Paul's situation. He's in prison in Rome, right? And it's not just Paul. There's several of them that are there. There there are needs there, and they need to get the supplies to Paul. So there is a great cost and a great commitment to simply take care of the needs of the prisoner, Paul. Paul... Thanks, Philemon, for his love and for his care. Paul receives much comfort from the fact that that Philemon is reaching out to care for Paul's needs. But that comfort comes in another way for Paul as well. It's the news he keeps hearing out of Colossae. 
It's the news of the ministry that Philemon is carrying on. It's the news of the fact that the gospel is going forth, that the gospel is being proclaimed, that even though Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles, is now in prison, the church has not quieted down. And the work of Philemon has not quieted down. He is continuing to work to minister, to bring the message of the gospel. Remember the passion of Paul this morning in that section, right? To make Christ fully known. Well, that's what he's commending Philemon for here. You're doing a great job, Philemon. So you have Paul's circumstance as the prisoner. You have Philemon functioning as the pastor of the church of Colossae. And then you have a fellow who gets mentioned. He doesn't actually get mentioned until verse 10. But really, the whole book kind of pivots around him. The guy's name is Onesimus. This fellow, this fellow was converted during Paul's imprisonment. Which would mean... Is Onesimus a soldier? I think the rest of the book is going to kind of argue against that. Don't think he's a soldier. Well, if Paul's in prison, how does he meet Onesimus? Well, the most likely scenario is this, right? Onesimus is another prisoner. He's in prison for some reason. He's committed some crime, some action. The Romans have thrown him in prison. And there in prison, Paul's and Onesimus' paths cross. And Onesimus becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. He becomes a man with a changed life. His life, as Paul states here, has been totally turned around. Look at how he states it in verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and me. Onesimus' name means useful, purposeful. So there's a little play on words Paul is using. He used to be useless, but now he's actually living up to his name. He has become useful. Why? Look at verse 10. I appeal to you for my child. Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. What does that mean? Well, it's the same language that Paul uses for Timothy. His spiritual father, his son in the Lord. In other words, Paul is the one that God uses to bring the message of the gospel to Onesimus who by God's gift of faith believes, is converted, repents, turns his life around, the meaning of repentance, is born again, now becomes useful, living up to his name. So we have a converted prisoner. We have a missionary who is a prisoner, and we have 
a pastor of a church thousand miles from Rome. That's our present situation. Well, what's the past problem? The past problem is there is an interconnection between the three of these individuals. But the problem centers on only one, and that is Onesimus. Onesimus has wronged Philemon. Paul writes, verse 11 again, Formerly, he was useless to you. He was useless. He was no good. He was of no benefit. He was no help. In some way or another, there was the expectation that Onesimus should have been useful to Philemon. But he wasn't. When one does not fulfill that which one is supposed to do, you wrong the individual. In some way, Onesimus has wronged Philemon. And now this becomes the core of what Paul is writing about and is seeking to turn around. He is seeking to reconcile this man who is the pastor of the church at Colossa and this converted prisoner that Paul has meant, met in prison in Rome. In some way, Onesimus has injured and hurt Philemon. Verse 12, we get a little hint. I am sending him back to you. I'm sending him back. In other words, Onesimus at one time or another had left. Now we know from other passages that Onesimus is what? He's a slave. Look down in that passage, right? Verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. Oh. Onesimus had wronged Philemon, had become useless to Philemon because Philemon had the right to expect Onesimus's work and labor as a bondservant, but Onesimus fled. He ran away. He escaped, would be one way to put it. He left even though there was this expectation he was going to work and labor, that did not happen. Onesimus left. Somehow or another, he made his way to Rome. He gets arrested in Rome. He meets Paul. Paul presents the gospel. The Holy Spirit converts Onesimus' life. And Paul is now, I got to bring these two back together. I got to bring this converted, escaped slave back to Philemon. How am I going to do that? Notice as well, the past problem involves not only that wrong, it involves not only that escape, but there had probably been some financial burden, right? Notice how Paul writes in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. In other words, I'll pay whatever expenses. Well, one can understand how that probably happened, right? Philemon has the slave 
called Onesimus. Onesimus is a useless slave in that he escaped. Philemon probably had some expenditures in trying to track him down, trying to figure out where he might have went. There might have been some time and energy put into that. Besides, he might have had to purchase another slave, so there was some more expense. So Paul is saying, if he cost you, if he harmed you in any way, charge it to me. I'll pay for it. I'll take care of whatever cost might have done Don't let the cost factor, don't let the financial factor be that which keeps you from taking Onesimus back. Because you see, that's what the book is all about. The book of Philemon is about reconciliation. It's about applied reconciliation. It's about the applying of the theological doctrine of reconciliation to our everyday lives. I think in some circles they refer to this as practical theology. Sometimes I've taken courses in practical theology and I'm still kind of wondering because it didn't always seem real practical to me. But anyway, because it was still out there somewhere. But this is what Paul is desiring. I have a Christian who is an escaped slave, and I have a Christian who is the pastor of the church in Colossae from whom this now converted slave came from. These need to be brought back together. So notice how Paul starts this. Paul starts his line of now persuading, of seeking to place before Philemon the need to be reconciled in verse 8. He starts with this. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So Paul says, look, Philemon, I could just come out and say this. I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of the In the name of the Lord Jesus, by the authority of the Lord Jesus, you have to take Onesimus back. I command you as an apostle. Paul says, I could do that. That that I would be perfectly within my rights as an apostle to offer that command. I, I could force you, as it were, to take Onesimus back. But I'd rather not. What I'd rather happen is this, verse 9. For love's sake, I appeal to you. Philemon, I could order you to do this. But Philemon, I, I, I hope and pray that the love of Christ is so strong in your heart. I won't have to command you. I won't have to order it as an apostle. You'll just do what's right because of the love of Christ that's in your heart. Now, he hasn't even told them what he's got to do yet. Notice. He hasn't even brought up Onesimus yet. He's just set the stage. He said, now look, you know who I am, right? I'm an apostle, so I could order you this. 
but I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't want to command you to do it. I pray that out of love, for love's sake, out of your heart having come to know Christ, your heart coming to know the Lord Jesus and the love of the Lord Jesus, I would pray for love's sake that you're going to do the right thing. I, I don't think I'm going to need to command you, Philemon. I, I, think, I think Christ's love in your heart is so strong, I won't need to do so. Paul's words. Then comes Paul's request. I want you to accept Onesimus back. Take him back. Verse 12. I am sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. For the sake of love, Philemon, I know he's wronged you. I know he's injured you. I know he fled from you. But for the sake of love, take him back. I am sending him back. So what's the fate, generally, of an escaped slave? Philemon could ask for death. He could seek revenge. Paul is saying, out of love, welcome him back, take him back. But Paul goes even further than that. Take him back as a brother. Verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, slave, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Don't just welcome him back and say, okay, slave, back to your duties. I welcome you back. Not as the slave. Welcome him back as a brother. You know, when, when, I, when I was reading this this week, the thought occurred to me when, when I heard that welcome him back the thought occurred to me of the father in the parable of the prodigal son who doesn't begrudgingly welcome that son home, but eagerly. You almost have the picture that Paul is saying, oh, I, I, I hope you're there when, when, when the day when the, the coach or whatever means of transportation comes in. I hope you're standing at the city gates of, of Colossae, Philemon, and you're just looking for Onesimus to come over that next hill. And as soon as you see him, you run up to him and you welcome him as a brother in Christ. I hope out of the sense of the love of Christ, the love that Christ has for you. The love that Christ has within us. Oh, that's right. right. Christ in us. The love 
of Christ compels me. Not the love of Christ out there compels me. The love of Christ in here compels me. Welcome him back as a brother. Do you think Paul's done? Is that, would we go, whew, wow, you're asking Philemon to do a lot. Well, look at else what he's asking him. Not just welcome him back. Don't just, don't, Philemon, don't come back to him with revenge and vengeance and try to bring justice and all that. Just welcome him back. And, and while you're welcoming him back, welcome him back as a brother. But then Paul adds this, welcome him back as a fellow worker. He's been really useful to me. He's been helpful to me. I think he's going to be helpful and beneficial to you. Welcome him back. It's almost as if Paul is saying to Philemon, this is somebody you need in the work and the ministry of the church there. Use him. Don't think of him as slave. Don't think of him as bondservant. Think of him as that which God has provided for you to do the work of the church, the work of a pastor there in Colossa. God, as it were, has answered your prayers, Philemon. God has brought you help. But guess who the help is? It's your escaped slave who's now a convert. He's useful. He's useful. He's beneficial. Use him. Use him. But notice as well, this is not a question in Paul's mind. It's interesting that he, he's not, there's no words like, boy, I sure hope you do this. And I, I really want you, Philemon, to do the right thing. Paul has the expectation. Paul is confident that Philemon will do the right thing in welcoming Onesimus back, in welcoming as a brother, in welcoming as a fellow worker. Paul is confident of that. Why? Wouldn't this be, I mean, just think of all the scenarios you can think of. Business squabbles where one guy leaves and then becomes a Christian and then Paul writes and says, hey, accept him back. Accept him back as a brother. Accept him back as a co-worker. <laughs> Think of that in some family circumstances and situations. Think of that in church environments. Welcome him back. Here we go. I don't think that's happening. Nope. Now, yeah, there's too many seeds. Too many bridges have been burned. Paul is like, no, I'm confident this is happening. Why? Because of where we were this morning. Philemon is a believer in Jesus Christ. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the presence of Christ dwells in Philemon. Paul knows that as Christ has reconciled us to God, Christ will also reconcile us as well. As brothers, as sisters in the Lord. Notice that's the context. Right? It's brothers and sisters in the Lord. He's confident. Verse 19, he's confident, 
Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Paul's confident Philemon's going to do this. Why? Because Philemon owes his soul to Paul. And not in the sense that Paul saved him. But in the sense that it is through Paul's work and Paul's labor that Philemon also has come to know reconciliation with God. He's learned it from Paul. He's been taught it from Paul. Paul knows this is not going to be a case of ignorance. Paul knows this is not going to be a case where, boy, I'm not real sure if Philemon knows all the ins and outs. Paul, Paul has taught him. He knows. Philemon is converted under the ministry of Paul. I'm confident. You know the truth. Philemon, you know what you're supposed to do. I'm confident you're going to do it. Secondly, he is confident of it because of commitment. Look at verse 21 as well. Verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. You wonder, what does even more look like at this point? Besides welcoming back your escaped slave, besides welcoming as a brother, besides making him a co-worker in your work and labor in the church, what does more look like? I, I, I don't know, but Paul's confident. Paul's confident. Might be Paul is thinking, you're going to set him free. We're going to get rid of this distinction between owner and slave. You're going to do more. Maybe you're going to welcome him in your house. Maybe rather than in the quarters, you're going to prepare a room, even as Paul requests for himself a few verses later. Maybe you're going to welcome him in. Maybe you're going to take him in as your own son or daughter. You're going to go far beyond. And, and notice, I'm confident of it. I'm confident. You're not going to do the minimal. You're not going to do the barest minimum. You're going to go beyond that. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. It is that power of Christ. It is that presence of Christ. It is that love of Christ that resides in our hearts as believers that we will do that which is and seems impossible to do. We will take the glorious truth of our reconciliation with God and we will apply it to those in our own lives that we are alienated and separated from. We will do so. Because that's exactly what God did for us. Luther said, every one of us is an Onesimus. Every one of us. Look at what we were. We were God's enemies. We were alienated from God. We were hostile to God. Now what? 
Now what? What does God do? He sends Jesus Christ to reconcile us. And then what does he do? He invites us to a meal. He invites us to fellowship. He invites us into his house. He invites us to take, eat, to take and drink. He invites us into an intimate relationship with him. He adopts us as his sons and as his daughters. He promises us a place in glory forever. He guards and protects us. He listens to our prayers. Paul is confident that Philemon is going to do more than Paul has mentioned. Why? Because he knows what reconciliation does. When you know that heart of God, then you see there is no relationship outside of reconciliation in the household, in the family of faith. Come to the table. It is Christ. It is Christ. We're going to sing his robes for mine, right? In essence, that's what Paul is saying to Philemon. Philemon, when he comes back, don't make him wear those slave clothes again. Give him yours. Give him yours. Which is what Christ has done for us. This is reconciliation applied.